HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My Family Recipe is a new podcast from Food52 and Heritage Radio Network, bringing you cherished heirloom recipes and the stories behind them. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Erin Linfante, a client strategist at Force Brands, the leading strategic recruiting firm for consumer brands. Erin partners with high growth brands in the wellness and natural organic space to identify their unique hiring needs and brings more than 11 years of experience into business development, high volume enterprise sales, customer relationship management, and event planning to her role at Force Brands. Welcome, Erin. Thank you so much. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, what I love about doing this show, among other things, is that, you know, every step of the way, I feel like, you know, the other brands and founders, et cetera, they're kind of listening and following along with us, get to learn a little bit, like, in real time, Um from what's going on based on what's going on at Haven's Kitchen. Um, yeah, totally. And so we are hiring um, and we're hiring a director of sales. Uh, it's someone, you know, we're really looking for someone sort of with like, you know, a good solid 10 years of experience. You know, we don't want to get this wrong. It's going to be a really important part of our team. I've never worked with a recruiter before. Um, you know, we can talk about sort of the benefits if they can afford it of working with, you know, force. Um, but I think most of all, I just would like to talk to an expert on if, you know, a brand like mine can't afford a force, like, how we should be thinking about hiring and interviewing and what the process should all look like. So I'm thrilled that you're on and I'm just, you know, happy to have you here. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I'm such an exciting time for Haven's Kitchen with 
I'm, I'm really excited to see also what this brings for the brand. Yeah. These key hires are so important. And once you get to the stage of these more senior leader hires, mm-hmm. um, it can really make a huge difference yeah. to the business. So, yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of the, you know, the, the context for a lot of us is, you know, we're a lot of the brands that are sort of like in our, you know, um, I don't know what we would call it, like our cohort to some extent, right? Like mm-hmm. we're kind of on the precipice of hitting those bigger numbers where we can really afford, you know, easily an all-star A team. Um, but we also kind of need to bring in some people to maybe potentially get to there. So it's like, we're trying to figure out what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, this all, there is a very candid conversation that kind of has to happen with your, you know, sort of launch team of, you know, there are times in a business's life cycle, I think, where you you need to bring in people that have experience, have done something like this before. And oftentimes emerging brands launch with a group of really, really engaged, excited, hardworking, hardcore, very bright people. And what happens when you when you kind of bring in other people? And, you know, that's something that I think a lot of us struggle with. And, um, there's no right answer. It's just, you know, I would just say my whole team is a very active part of this conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. and I would just advise other brands to just, you know, founders, if you're listening, just make this as much of a group effort, you know, as possible, be really clear with your, in, you know, your current team when you're bringing in anyone new. Um, so that's my little, my little spiel, but yeah, you know, for you, um, let's just talk about, you know, how, how, if you were, a you know, a founder and you weren't at force and you knew that you needed to make a big hire, what would be the first steps that you would do? Like, how would you map out the process before you even start talking to people? Yeah. So, so I actually get this question a lot because even though we are an executive recruiting firm, my position at Force Brands is a client strategist. So I start having conversations with brands at the very early stages, maybe even before they're ready to hire to do all of this growth planning with them. So I do, you know, org chart planning and I can share tons of resources on, job descriptions and salary guides and really start having the conversations early. Um, That way, when the time does come that, you know, they, a brand can afford to use a recruiter, I already, you know, know everything about them and can send them people right away. So, um, and I personally love it just because I love being the first person to know like what (laughs) new skis are coming out. Like Mm -hmm. I love to know like the first brands on the shelf and getting to try things before they're even, you know, out there for the rest of the, the general public. Like that's just like so exciting to me. So I actually do get that question a lot from founders. Like, how do I know who should be my first hire? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and it's such a wild question because there's so many factors. Yeah. And to, to your point before, there's no right answer. There's no right or wrong. It's well, the one thing I always do say is you really need to get your, to know yourself 
first right? and be really honest with yourself. So what are you good at and what are you bad at? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's a tough thing to think about for yourself, but you need to know where your own personal weaknesses are and then build around that yep. and look at the rest of the team and build around them. You don't yeah. ever want to have too many cooks in the kitchen and, you know, have a fully loaded like sales team, but you don't have enough people on the op side to, to get the products out. Right. Yeah. So, um, it, it's really important to, to be really honest and have those open conversations up front and, and then fill in the gaps there. You know, so every- I guess, so I mean, sorry to interrupt you. So, yeah, you okay. know, I remember doing very early on sort of a, an exercise and we literally started with like raw ingredients and we like, everything had a like big piece of sticky paper on the wall and it went to repeat, you know, for all the way through the consumer journey, all the way to like getting them to buy again. And every step of the way had a, a, a person who's taking care of this, who's taking care of that. And then around those people, we kind of made circles like, okay, this is generally operations. This is generally sales. This is generally marketing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's kind of followed along that path. I love that. (laughs) But when you get, but when you get to sort of like the, the next step where, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got a couple million in sales, you know, maybe even, you know, you're coming up on 10, and it's time to sort of, you know, I don't even know that we've like f- the interviewing process until that point is, is much more a team fit. Can you plug into the hole that we don't have someone to do a mm-hmm. little bit? It feels like at some point that switches into, no, here is this role. We need a specialist, mm-hmm. you know, who's done this. Like, is that is that what you see a lot? And if so, you know, you know, how, do, how do people put structure around that? You know, I guess. It's yeah. Like yeah. So there's a couple different ways to look at it. You know, it's either hiring from the bottom up, meaning, you know, hiring a junior mid-level managers or top down, um, you know, or jumping all around, honestly, right. but it really depends on, um, like I said, the if you are new to C- CPG, you should need somebody who has more experience than you do, at least in their department, right? So it kind of depends on, do you have somebody who can make these senior level decisions in the department? So sales, finance, marketing, operations, and HR. You definitely want somebody besides yourself who can start making calls. Right. 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 And then depending on the type of role, you know, that's kind of where, depending on which function they're in is the level of the person you might need. So, you know, sales, somebody who has 10 years of experience is going to open up a lot of doors for you. If that's what you need, if you need to open some big accounts, right. That's what you need. A, a, A area sales manager, can focus on a city and, and that's about it. They're not going to have the, you know, national headquarter right. calls under their belts at that point. Okay. So now on to the, the, we've identified in our case, what we want, what we need, mm-hmm. you know, I think that, you know, like we were talking about, we're not at the stage yet where we can hire someone who's so senior 
that they don't get their hands dirty and they're just going to delegate. Mm-hmm. And they're so big picture that they kind of want to be just in strategy and not necessarily in execution. Mm-hmm. But we're past the point where we need someone who's just executing because at this point that goes beyond what I'm able to strategize. Right. And yes. so now, so we're at this place where we're looking for someone who has like a foot firmly sort of in strategy, but also a foot firmly in execution. Mm-hmm. Where do we start? Do we start with a job description? Do we start with the org chart? Do we start with, you know, hopping around on LinkedIn and trying to look at other brands? Honestly, Mm -hmm. everyone has such different names for such all the same roles. I don't know who's Mm -hmm. actually doing what, where they are, you know? Yeah, there's been a lot uh, over the past, you know, let's call it five, 10 years. There's been a lot of these like fluffy names let's call them for Mm -hmm. for jobs like sales ninja operations (laughs) wizard you know they're like really what does that mean it kind of muddles everything Mm -hmm. unfortunately and honestly as a recruiter it makes our job a lot harder right so I can recommend you know there's um the standard you know there's a manager and then you become a director and then you become a vp and then there's mm-hmm. C-suite. And in between, there's ways of flex- to make it more flexible, calling somebody a senior in order to give them a little bump, but maybe mm-hmm. not the whole thing. And honestly, a lot of the factor of that, the two biggest factors, I will say, are the years of experience. And honestly, what can you afford? Right. Because titles have meaning and they typically coincide with the salary range. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of resources out there. Force Brands being one of them. We offer free salary guides for different industries. So um, they're, you know, and they're, they're free on the web. So um, definitely do not recommend getting it in your head that you need a VP of sales, but then realize too late in the process that you can't afford a salary mm-hmm. to match a VP of sales. That's a big you know, mistake I see founders make is they get really set, you know, on hi- hiring a senior leader, but, you know, maybe they don't have the funding and the revenue yet to, to bring in that type of person. Right. Or so. even, you know, I mean, for in our case, like we, I remember going to Expo West in 2019 and we weren't, you know, we weren't, we didn't have DCs open around, we own, you know, in the rest of the country. So we were getting all these really excited retailers in, you know, Oregon and we couldn't service them at all, you know? So having someone, um, you don't want to kind of have something too big before you've grown into it. But again, it's that timing thing where like, you do want to build the company that you want to be in six months or a year, right? Like you want to, you want to have positions where you grow into those positions, you know? shortly. So, okay, going back. So if I were just me and I wasn't using you, I mean, what Mm -hmm. we handed you was we handed you a job description. We handed you, you know, five very clear deliverables that we want this person to do in the next year to 18 months. Mm -hmm. And we handed you our, um, our user manuals, which, you know, we talked about on another podcast when I had a a guy from Mudwater named Paul DeJoe, we talked about, um, making user manuals for, you know, everyone on the team. And is there, are those where you would start, you know, job description, know who you are and know what you were actually asking this person to do in the next year? Definitely. So what a job 
description entails is a couple big bullet points that you always want to make sure you, you have in there. So, you know, a description of, of what the job is in your own terms, you know, you can list all these bullet points and that's great, but really like what spins this in a positive light of why you need this role. Right. For example, you know, our brand is doubling in sales year, year over year, and we need a bigger ops team to manage the orders. You know, that's, that's going to be something that's going to get people excited. So that's, that's number one. Um, and definitely stay away from the negative side of that too. You know, right. don't put, our team doesn't want to work nights. And so now we need somebody else to. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you need job responsibilities. This is what everybody thinks of when it comes to a job description. What are the day-to-day tasks? Mm-hmm. Obvi- those are obvious. Make them very to the point. I would say maybe up to 10 bullet points. Right. Okay. And then job requirements. What experience does the person need? You know, too many people use buzzwords here. I would avoid that. You know, you don't necessarily need to say that this person needs to be hardworking or have yeah. a roll up their sleeves attitude. Like, mm-hmm. No, no, duh. Like like something tangible, like must have the ability to motivate teams to produce like quality results within tight timeframes, you know, Mm -hmm. and manage multiple programs, whatever, you know, like a more tangible idea that this person be like, oh, I can do that, you know. Um, And definitely put, you know, years of experience if you require a degree in there. Right. You know, if you want them coming from a specific, very niche product background or can they be open? Right. Um, and, th- and that actually, you know, that's something really helpful. You don't need to put this on a job description. But I think when it when it comes time to create this job description on the side, also create a list of your must haves and your nice to haves. You can put these in the job description, too. But um I just right, think like it's in like, our case, must have is experience, whereas nice to have is experience in fresh. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. And because, you know, if you just throw in experience in fresh on the job description, people are going to see that and they could be really great. Right. And that's not a deal breaker for, for you, but they may not apply. Right. You yep. know, and so don't get stuck on finding a unicorn, you know. Put in, you know, really what the basic must-haves are and then know what your nice-to-haves are. And And then then, the last thing, Mm -hmm. um, sorry, is just about um, the one thing that I actually don't see people do enough of that I see be super helpful is to add the benefits of working at your brand on the job description. Right. You know, like not just listing the health insurance, which actually is important and people do want to know about it, especially in this climate right now. But are there any other perks you provide, like unlimited PTO, gym memberships, like really cool office, work from home, whatever it is. Like people are interviewing you just as much as you might be Mm -hmm. interviewing them. So you definitely want to get people who are excited to apply and we'll just respond quicker. And, you know, it it just helps. I think the overall process, people be more um, on board from the get go. Well, that actually, that really leads into sort of like my next sort of big question, which is like Mm -hmm. finding these people, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, a, I guess, you know, how long does it take usually on average from start to finish identifying, okay, we need 
this person to sign on the dotted line and they are then working there? Like, is there, I'm imagining it's longer than we all think it is. Sometimes it is for sure. And sometimes it's faster than you might think. I, I, it, it can, the variables for the length of time is how much time you can commit to doing interviews. If you have a packed calendar and you can only get to, you know, like interview one every other day, every couple of days, you know, like that can really make the process a lot longer. And if you want to go through and have this person meet with you and your co-founder and three of your board members and somebody who's going to be in direct report, like that means that there's going to be six rounds in an interview process, which can take like six weeks, Mm -hmm. you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, and assuming that the first person you start interviewing might not be the one at the end, it's going to be like a rolling flow. A lot of the time, you know, you're looking at typically like a two month to three month sometime process. And honestly, that's partly why we hired you guys. I mean, I, you know, I think that I could probably go hunting for candidates. I think Mm -hmm. I have a network that could probably identify them. I wanted to put some organization to the process that wasn't just internal because we are, you know, super strapped. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I, I want, I wanted some vetting outside of ourselves. Um, And for all of those reasons. And then I did think that you could probably bring people into the, into the process that, you know, otherwise I wouldn't, I wouldn't know to find, or I wouldn't be able to, or, you know, they're just part of it was like getting the actual candidates, but a lot of it was just putting, putting process in place, you know, partly because I think I'm very, I think like a lot of founders, we, we vibe with people pretty well, or, you know, we might be like, this person's awesome, but we're not necessarily asking about this competency that Mm -hmm. you guys know we're going to need that we might not even know we need. So I guess, how do you, um, how do you start the conversations with potential candidates? You identify your needs, you identify people who seem to fit them. And then what are those conversations like? You know, how, how do you, how do you tell if it's a good fit? And, and do you have like a, is there like an Excel sheet, you know, and a, like a ranking system? Like how does, mm-hmm. like how, how does that work? I guess. Yeah. And you're asking from the perspective of somebody trying to do this on their own, not necessarily yeah. from my perspective. as yeah, a recruiter. Exactly. Right? I mean, yeah. you know, more or less, I'm, I'm assuming that your perspective as a recruiter can give us some really good best practices if we're trying to do it on our own. Yeah. So there are, Definitely um, ways to be organized, like to your point with an Excel. Um, I usually su- suggest making a scorecard for yourself to use during the interview process uh, with a weighted point system, right? So certain competencies are worth X amount of points. And, you know, if you care about an advanced degree, that's worth X amount of points. And another section of points can be, you know, like what you said, like, do you vibe with them? Right. 
um, for so long, everybody talked about culture fits. We yeah, personally I'm, started removing that term from our vocabulary. Yeah. Now we use culture ad, you know, yeah. I have um, a really big problem. It's so funny that you said that. Cause I, I, I read that as like, you know, people who say culture fit it, they don't even know it, but they're thinking like similar backgrounds, similar education, similar, you know, um, network. And I'm just such a big believer that actually you should have fully different background, fully different like, education, fully different network. Like the more diversity you can bring into a team, the better. And I feel like it's almost like an opposing thought to culture fit. That doesn't mean that if you're like a group of nice people that you hire a jerk, it just means that I think culture fit, I agree, has been, the term has been adulterated a little bit for yeah. sure. Yeah. Culture yeah, that's why we say better. culture ad. I have to yeah. give my colleague Annette that credit for coming up with that. We mm-hmm. all use it now, and I think it's like the best thing. But, yep. but yeah, it's you know asking yourself what is this? How is this person going to complete our rainbow? You know, we're all yep. red, yellow, orange, green. But you know, what is how? How are we going to find our purple? Right. Yep. So, um, and how is this person going to make us whole and make us successful? So that can definitely be um, worth X amount of points. Right. Um, and I guess before we take a break mm-hmm. on, on these competencies, cause you know, I feel like, you know, we know that we need someone to come in and build out a very comprehensive channel strategy, right? Mm-hmm. So far mm-hmm. it's been like, yay, they want us. Yay. We'll go there. <laughs> yay. We kind of like, you know, we know the, the general stores that work for a product like ours at the beginning, we know the stores to stay away from because they're slotting crazy or there's like, they're not for emerging brands, even if they want you, we know to say no to them. But now we're starting to think about like channel strategy and strategy by DC. And how do we get to whether or not that person can actually do that? Like, how do you get to some of those nitty gritty questions? You know, I don't even know how to ask some of those questions. (laughs) Yeah. So there are um, interview tactics, you know, where you may give a hypothetical scenario and ask for how they would handle situation. Like everybody knows that. Right. But you can always ask very specific for that, for that job, for a sales hire, what uh, new accounts did you open and ask why, like too many people don't ask why, like, why did you open that account at that time? Did Mm -hmm. somebody just tell you to do it? Did you do it on your own? And how did you do it? And, you know, just continually asking why and asking for the metrics and maybe like case studies, Mm -hmm. um, is going to give you a clearer picture, I think on the competencies, because there's, you know, candidates can always just say, Oh yeah, I I worked with, I worked with this. They all do. And And it's like, uh, right. You know, maybe ask for the name of a person that they worked with, you know, and, you know, beware of back channel references so as not to blow their cover. Of course, you know, you confidentiality is key candidates, but, you know, you can at least ask them who they worked with and and you'll be able, you know, you you might know that they were a buyer at that time or not. You know, there's ways to kind of fact check what they're saying to you. Yeah, no. And I think that's a really good point, actually. I think that, you know, I the way that I interviewed for the first, you know, nine years of my interviewing time has been very much like, they seem great, you know, (laughs) like, you know, um, I think now 
I like what you're asking, like specifically, where did you take this product? You know, because there are a lot of people that are like, I was there from when it was five to when it was 50 mm-hmm. or, you know, million in sales. Right. And you, you kind of want to know like, well, what part of that was you? Yeah. Obviously it wasn't entirely anybody, right. There was a group effort there, but what part of that was you, what part of that was like thoughtful or just luck? You know, what part of it, like, And that's the stuff that is kind of hard to weed through a little Mm -hmm. bit. But I really like this idea of like specifically, you know, remember in Working Girl when um, the Sigourney Weaver tries to take credit for Melanie Griffith's idea? Do you remember Mm -hmm. this? Yes. And they're like, well, what what gave you the idea for Trask Industries? And she was like, I just thought of it one day. But Melanie Griffith was like, I was sitting on the thing and I read that thing and this connected Mm -hmm. to that, like that's what you're talking about. The, the, yeah. Yeah. The why. The why, if they can back up what they're saying with real metrics and uh, obviously uh, oh, trust your gut too. some, a lot of the time you can tell when somebody's just talking in circles to try to cover their own butt, yeah. you know, I'm not that good at, at that. Actually. I, I really, I mean, I can tell like when someone's like totally full of it, but I can't, mm-hmm. I can't really weed out I still find it very hard to weed out what someone actually did versus whether they were along for a good ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's also where references mm-hmm. comes in. Um, we find them very important in our hiring practices, you know, because yeah. I mean, sure. A reference is somebody that the candidate has already spoken to and gotten their blessing to, you know, give their information for us to call. So, right. It, it can definitely be a little one-sided and of course they're going to, you know, speak highly of this person, but that's kind of when you can ask some more tough questions right. too, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's questions that you can ask, for example, like what area needs coaching or development? Like there right. is no, there is no really room there for them to be like, nothing. Oh no, she's great. Nothing. Right. Like that's not believable. They're They're going to know that there has to be something. Everybody could, can develop in some way. Right. So, you know, and another question is like, how can I support them best? Mm -hmm. Right. So that, and the answers can be really telling. And I Mm -hmm. always recommend when you're asking a candidate to provide references, make sure you're asking for at least one of them to be a former manager. Right. Maybe not their current manager, of course, if they don't want, you know, their current company to know, but at some point in their career, you know, is there a manager that can vouch for them? And also, if this person's going to be a manager, maybe ask for a direct, somebody who's a direct reporter yeah, there to I, understand sure. their management style. Yep. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk more about hiring and team and all that. We'll be right back. Good food is worth a thousand words. This is Arthi Menon, and I'm delighted to share a new podcast with you, My Family Recipe from Food 52 and Heritage Radio Network. Adapted from Food 52's much-loved column of the same name, the My Family Recipe podcast will bring its pages to life. Each episode of My Family Recipe brings you a cherished heirloom recipe and the story behind it, from voices across the world of food. We'd open these tubs of dough and they would exhaust these incredible yeasty fumes and it just smelled like nothing else. It was so intoxicating. I'll interview writers and chefs, parents and children, 
about what's passed down along with the foods that we know and love. Chinese people aren't like born with a download on how to like velvet chicken. You know, like that's not something that just like comes to you. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. I'm back with Erin Linfonte from Force Brands talking about hiring. Um, so I've been, you know, I got, I don't, I think it's Fred Wilson. I'm not sure. It's someone basically, and this quote has been in my head for now a couple of weeks, but it's basically like as a founder, you really only have three jobs. And if you're doing those three jobs well, then things are going to go smoothly. And one is vision for the company, the direction you want the company to go in. You put people in place to execute that vision, right? Which leads to number two, which is building a team that can execute that vision. And number three is, you know, cash management and making sure that you have the money and the runway to do that. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of emerging brand founders were kind of doing everything. Of course, we are thinking about vision. Of course, we're always thinking about money. And of course, we're thinking about team. But what I like about the quote is that it gets us a little bit above it, right? Like if you put in, like you said, people that can make the tough calls and you know that they can make the tough calls and they're going to make the, the right tough call most of the time, then you don't have to have that on your plate anymore. And I think a lot of us in sort of younger brands, we find ourselves hiring junior people that are very young and, you know, energetic and bring a lot to the table, but you end up having sort of like a couple people managing a lot of people. And then you have outside agencies and service providers and freelancers. So at some point you need like another leg of the, of the, of the leadership team. And I guess going back to you, Aaron, like what are some, just some general thoughts, like what have you seen go well when people are expanding their leadership team and what have you seen not go well? So going well, I will say is more often than not, what we see personally on my side with recruiting, mm-hmm. if your hiring pro- like process is as in-depth and as real and honest as it can be. So on the flip side, that's kind of like where people go wrong is not being honest with themselves and not being honest with candidates during the hiring process. Right. So, you know, giving reasonable expectations during all of the conversations, you know, um, it is really key. Um, and creating, you know, 30, 60, 90 day plans with candidates, even like during the process so that expectations are clear before this offer letter is signed and right. both sides feel that what they are coming into is going to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? Cause you kind of led with, you know, make the job description, you know, compelling, 
Mm -hmm. right? I think all of us have parts of our businesses. I mean, if we are honest, right? If all of us have parts of our business that are batting, you know, punching way above our weight, right? Mm -hmm. Like, or, you know, sales are growing really nicely, or, you know, we're in a category that's just like getting a ton of just organic growth. And then like every business, we also have areas that, you know, part of the reason why we're bringing in someone is to help. Right. And, and yes, a lot of times it's help because, you know, we have all this growth and we need people to keep up. But again, I think that wouldn't be entirely honest, right? We, we are getting to a place where if we don't bring in, you know, someone who knows more than we do, we're really not putting the company in a position to thrive. Um, and that, and, and that is a hard conversation a lot of times, you know, um, because it's, I don't know, it's, I don't want to put too much pressure on anyone coming in, but we are looking at this point for someone who really is going to bring a lot to the table. Um, so I guess the next question that I have on that is, you know, if you were interviewing people, you know, what are some things that you would take as red flags or take as like big, bright green lights um, when, you know, we're thinking about someone who's going to actually like take our business to the next level with us? Yeah. Uh, from a sales perspective or in general, you think? I mean, I think in general sales mm -hmm. is helpful, but you know, <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, uh, honestly, a lot of people, the first time they're going to use a recruiter is likely on sales. Um, partially because, you know, you make that money back, you know, it's an accretive role. And obviously operations is a big piece too. Um, but my guess is that really sales and ops are, are likely where, I mean, you tell me, you know, but yeah, honestly, it, it's, I, I won't say there's one specific role that everybody comes to a recruiter first for. Um, I actually do see that because of the nature of salespeople, it is almost easier to hire a salesperson on your own sometimes. Mm -hmm. Right, because they're, they're more out there. <laughs> they're out there. They're active on LinkedIn. They're right. networking. You can call up one of your investors and be like, hey, I need... Right. No one knows you know. who's like in the back making the actual stuff happen. Exactly. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, somebody who's, you know, on the manufacturing side isn't like trolling LinkedIn always right. for right. a new job. So um, it is it is a, a wild mix of, of first roles. But to your point, yes, like sales can be such an important high that people want to put their trust in us for that um, for that recruiting process. So, yeah, sales for sure. Um, we always ask candidates when we're having our first round interviews, because that's what we do. We do the mm -hmm. initial screens and first interviews before we pass them on to a brand is we give them for the whole first part of the interview is open for them to walk us through their employment experience. Sometimes candidates will answer questions you didn't know to ask. Mm -hmm. You know, why did they go? Right go yeah. mm -hmm. Why did they go from company A to company B? Why did they pivot? Why did they make this change in their career? And and maybe they can say, well, 
you know, operations didn't really make me happy. So right. I transitioned more to finance and then, you know, your, your role might maybe an operations role, you know what I mean? Like, right. so there's, there's things that uh, candidates can just give up voluntarily mm-hmm. that, you know, answer those questions that you didn't have on your list. So uh, silence can get you a lot. I yep. always like to say, yep. um, and then make sure, you know, along with your scorecard, always be prepared for interviews in general and make sure that you're asking for metrics for sure. Um, and again, like the why of everything. Um, so can you give me a little bit more on the scorecard, right? Yeah. Like, so some of it seems like very soft in a way, you know, good culture fit, um, you know, pleasant demeanor, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, <laughs> but you know, what are some other things on the scorecard? Like, is that kind of, you go back to sort of what do I want this person to accomplish in the next, you know, year, year and a half? And how do I ask direct questions to make sure that they can do that? Or, yeah, yeah. yes, definitely. So we, um, there's, depending if you're giving like points or grades, whatever that is, you know, if you have your, remember how we had said you have to make your list of must haves and your Mm -hmm. nice to haves. If you have your list of must haves and you're going into that, interview and you're saying, you know, how do you own and develop a brand voice? Right. And how did you, you know, develop it across touch points, you know, with a limited budget, whatever the, whatever the question may be, right. They give an answer and you give it a grade immediately as soon as they give it out. Got it. Right. So, you know, out of one to 10 points, you know, you gave them a two on their answer or an eight on their answer or Mm -hmm. an A plus or an F, whatever that may be. So use your must have list and your nice to have list kind of in tandem with your scorecard. Right. And ask the specific questions, you know, have they done this? And if they give a good answer. Yes. If they've right. done it, yes, like 10 points. <laughs> right. Understood. Yeah. I mean, because I think that's, I don't know. I mean, again, you tell me, but I think the mistake a lot of us make is that, you know, we move, we kind of were like, I like them. They seem like they would be a good fit to mm-hmm. this is the role. These are the competencies. They have eight out of 10 of them. This is likely to be a good fit. And mm-hmm. I think that's where you know, gut hiring turns into like structured hiring. And, you know, everyone always says like, you just, you, you can't, uh, it takes a lot of time to go through this process. And then it takes a lot of time and energy if it doesn't go well to unhire. So, you know, I'm just really trying to optimize. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's why using the, the, the weighted point system can be helpful. Like, you know, the, the culture piece may be, you know, out of five points, but certain competencies are out of 20 points. So you can at the end of the day, you can maybe take your, you know, three finalists and see where their strengths are. And yeah, maybe you, had an easier conversation with this person, but they were missing X, Y, and Z competencies. Mm -hmm. Like you have it on paper that it's probably not, you know, you you can keep that person as in your network, right? right? You can talk to them later, invite them over for dinner. But like the other, the other candidate who can honestly do the job potentially better, 
is who you should go with. And you have concrete black and white evidence based on your, your scoring system. And so going back to, you know, the average number of interviews, um, not only us, but also, you know, having potential board members interview people or advisors interview people, Mm -hmm. you know, any best practices around that, you know, it's, this is the first time where I'm having people outside of us interview someone. Mm -hmm. Um, I certainly don't want to waste anyone's time, but, you know, are they, are we giving them an assignment to ask specific things? Are, are different references for different things? You know, just kind of let's, let's stop. Let's do the references after let's do the number yeah. of interviews and sort of the organization of the interviews with, with stakeholders. Let's talk yeah. about that. First. So right now the hiring market is, is pretty crazy, right? You know, nobody was hiring for so long and then the world started opening up and everybody rushed to hire. Right. So the candidate market is very competitive at the moment. So there's this, you know, unique confluence like of you need to make sure you're doing an in-depth interview process. So you actually know this person is the one, but on the other, other hand, yeah, I can't take eight months. Too, yeah. Too many interviews or you're going to lose people. They're going to get scooped up by other companies. They're going to get competing offers. And then it's, it's going to make things more expensive for you because if you really want that person later, maybe you need a counter offer and mm-hmm. you know, um, so speed to hire right now in this point in time is, is very key. I would say now like four rounds right. is kind of the sweet spot. Um, any more than that, p- candidates really kind of start to get like a, get antsy and, and are more likely to, to look elsewhere. Um, one thing you can do is if, is do more panel interviews, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it doesn't always have to be one-on-one. Sure, the conversation might flow a little bit better that way. But for the sake of time, you know, if you have like a, a, you know, two VPs, you know, VP of sales, VP of marketing, that's, you know, going to like hire somebody who's supporting both departments or working cross-functionally, whatever that may be, put them together and make it a panel interview. Yep. Just to make sure that things are moving along. And, And honestly, from the candidate perspective, the more people they meet on the team, the better, the, the better. Yeah. That makes you sense. You know, so they're going to feel like they know more people. They're going to feel more comfortable once they get onboarded. They're going to feel like they have more connection. Um, it just really has to be, uh, in a, in a smart, efficient time frame. Right. And then are you, um, we, we, you know, you mentioned references before a lot of candidates right now, because it is competitive, you know, and, and, you're, you're basically hiring someone who's in a job, um, Mm -hmm. right now, and they are likely not going to be giving you their managers to call for references. So, you know, presumably you go to people that they've reported to in the past and people that have reported to them in the past. Um, and what's the number, you know, how many references would you call and how would you, you know, I loved a couple of those like specific, how can you support this person more, but, mm-hmm. you know, general suggestions around reference calls would be yeah. helpful. We usually ask for three professional references. 
um, with at least one being a former manager. And again, you know, if they're going to be a manager, one's maybe a direct report or at least somebody that worked on their team. Right. So the candidate is, is the one giving you this information. You don't ever really want to just reach out to people you saw that they worked with at one point in time. Um, so when you are getting them on the phone, I, I always recommend a phone call. I don't recommend an email. Um, you, you want to hear the reaction to your questions and have it be more of an honest conversation for sure. I, we always ask, you know, for them to describe what the candidate did when they worked together. What mm-hmm. were the duties and responsibility that this candidate performed, which I feel like a lot of people don't ask because it's probably yeah. assumed, you know, yep. but in their words, what did this person do for you? You know, right. what did they do day to day? And you'll be able to fact check that against, you know, their interviews. And that's kind of a way to weed out the BS. But yep. you can ask about um, working collaboratively in a team setting and ask for examples. And then, you know, also working independently and exercising judgment on their own. And can you share any examples? Yeah. Got um, it. Yeah. And yeah, then again, that question about coaching and development, you know, and there's the typical, would you, you know, what was your overall impressions of their performance? And always that's probably going to be Amazing. A, a, a good, yeah. <laughs> a good reference. But. Hopefully if they've put yeah. them down. Yes. Um, okay. So let's shift a little bit, right? I feel like you already started touching on this, but, um, you know, 30, 60, 90 day goals, being very clear, defining the outcomes of, you know, what they're doing, having them sign off on that and really hopefully by the time they are hired, there is a, it's not just like, oh, now I'm getting to know everything and I'm going to take the next six months to get my bearings. It's like, I know what I need to do and I'm going to hit the ground running. Um, So other than sort of having that stuff in discussion before the person actually comes on, what would you say are just general thoughts on onboarding? And, you know, what have you seen basically work in an organization to bring someone in and really not work? You know, I'm sure you've had candidates come to you that you've placed and they aren't happy mm-hmm. right away. And I'm sure likewise. Um, and I'm curious about that stuff. You know, what are, what, what are the themes that come up when it doesn't go great? Yeah. So, um, when it doesn't go great, a lot of the times, I think I said this before, but it's, there, there was some form of, of not being honest by one or both parties during the interview process. You know, maybe somebody came on board and, you know, they're a, you know, a marketing hire and they're like, well, in the interview process, I really thought this was going to be more like of a digital marketing role. But now that I'm coming on board, now they're asking me to do more traditional marketing initiatives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that is kind of always a hurdle that can be overcome later. Sure. For some people, you know, but and again, like that's really like having the game plan where expectations are clear. Right. Um, there are, you know, use the term hit the ground running, right? Some people with the right experience will come in, you know, for example, your sales hire could come in and he- close a huge account for you. 
you know, in their first couple of weeks because they've been there, done that. And that's their connect in the industry they already have. They just call their buyer and, you know, can do the pitch, whatever it may be. But there are some things that that of their business that they're going to need to spend a couple of weeks learning about your financials and, you know, who does what within the brand to, for them to effectively work cross-functionally, right? Right. So they're going to need to meet all the people and learn the processes and the logistics around everything that they may not be able to hit the ground running. So we usually say the first 30 days for the most part should just be learning Mm -hmm. and taking the wins where they're the low hanging fruit, if you will, the easy wins, right? right? You know? Um, And one thing that you can do during the interview process that some brands do like to do, especially for the sales hire, is have a 30, 60, 90 day plan presented to you as part of the interview process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's pretty that's pretty common. So candidates, obviously, they're not going to know your financials or they may not have all of the details. It can be very high level, but you can at least see how they're starting to think about their onboarding and ramping period. And you can potentially be more clear after that, you know, and say like, Oh, I I saw that you thought maybe this would happen. And that's not really how we're, we can do this. Are you okay with that? So getting ahead of things, you know, their expectations. That's a great point. I'm wondering at what point in the process, like, I mean, I'm, I know I'm getting very nitty gritty here, but if you, if you're meeting with someone four times, Mm -hmm. um, over the course of, let's say four weeks, you know, it's, yeah, it it's it's usually towards the end of the process, right. I will say. Okay. Um, a lot of candidates see it as, you know, free work sometimes. Yeah. So it can sometimes be a turnoff. And, uh, you know, you don't want the people who don't want to do the work, mm-hmm. essentially. But but that's that is the reality. And, and they also may not know enough about your business too right. early on to really make an, an effective plan. So right. they need to have had multiple conversations with you. Yeah. In order to learn and create something that's thoughtful and relevant to your business so that you can actually see what they're going to come to the table with. Right. Um, So, yeah, 30, 60, 90 day plan or some sort of project where you give them a scenario and say, what would you, you know, show Mm -hmm. us what you would do in this case. Sometimes that's something good for like marketing. Right. You know, what would what would you know, or they can even bring past projects that they've done also something great for marketing, you know, Uh, show us an example of a campaign and then you can get on zoom or, you know, and they can walk you through it and explain the why. Is there anything going back to, um, you know, the, just the onboarding process that you guys have seen work really well, you know, aside from sort of like giving someone that like 30 days to, to really learn and, and have all the expectations set. Is there anything that you've seen that you're like, wow, that's great that that company did that. You know, it really varies by the brand, I will say, because there are some founders that have came to me and was, and it's like, you know, a director of marketing, like so-and-so came in and we had this rebrand and they knocked it out of the park because we gave them creative liberty. Mm -hmm. Right. So that worked for them. And then other people, if they give creative liberty to some people, it does not always work out well. So it is a wide spectrum for sure. What works for some brands based on their team does not necessarily work 
for others. I wish I had a better answer. No, no. For I you. mean, I think what the, I think what that leads to is that is the answer that kind of keeps coming up, which is just like being as honest with yourself about yourself, not mm-hmm. you just individually, but as a team being as clear about, you know, that's why I like the user manuals, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, in writing what I'm likely going to do that is going to annoy you, you know, I'm also Mm -hmm. figuring out exactly the kind of person that works best with me. And I'm also making it, you know, when I do annoy you, here's how to tell me that I've annoyed you right? Like Mm -hmm. uh, the more honest that you can be about who you are, where you are, what's actually going on in your business, and hopefully share that with a candidate who's equally as honest about, listen, I'm very good at this. I haven't had as much experience doing that, but I've seen it. And here's my thoughts about it. Um, It sounds like that's the that's what maybe gets missed a lot when people are just like, yeah, it's great. They're great. We're great. Great. You know? Yeah. That. And honestly, just being organized, um, with the information that you're presenting to the new candidates, not just throwing information at them in a meeting and, you know, saying, write that down. <laughs> so what <laughs> we'll do you mean? So, so how, how would we be organized about giving information to so? So, you know, where, depending on who is in charge of any sort of onboarding process or trainings, I would have one person on your team be delegated, to be Mm -hmm. honest, whoever maybe is the most organized and wants to take on this task. Right. Um, If you don't have an HR team yet or or people team yet, um, who can put together, you know, the, maybe some decks or at least some Excel on like what does the first week for you look like? Right, These are right. who you're meeting when. So they just have a, a clear expectations of, you know, how their first couple of weeks are going to go, when they're expected to be where, what are they going to be learning during this time? And what right. should they know by the end of a certain time period? Got it. Yep. Right. So having things that are very clear and organized for them to refer to is I've seen be, greatly appreciated by candidates. Yeah. And it's also, you know, one of the hardest things for us to do because we're all trying to like fix the bus while it's going 30 miles Mm -hmm. or 80 miles or 120 miles down the road. So, you know, very few of us have like a people team that's like dedicated to, you know, making a really super stellar, you know, um, I think our onboarding gets stronger with every hire we make. Yes. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think it had to get really strong during the pandemic. You know, we made, we made three hires um, and, you know, they, one was in Hawaii, you know, mm-hmm. so, you know, how do you really get everything across that you need this person to know in order to set them up to do their job the best? And it's worth taking the time out, even though you just, you want to get them like scheduling the trucks you know, mm-hmm. there needs to be, there needs to be a, a minute. All right. Last question. You talk to a ton of emerging brands all the time. Yeah. You know, I would love to hear if there's anything that comes up where you're like, I really want them to know this, or I really wish that they would just think about this, like anything this is your opportunity to, to tell us all what you really think, you know, 
anything that you want us to know or want us to avoid or want us to do um, that we can kind of take and, and do? Yeah. I would say be, do the research to make your decisions ahead of time. And then once you come to a decision, stand by it. Be strong in your decision. If you're going into an interview process and you're changing your mind with every conversation you have, it's you're going to lose candidates. It's going to, you know, the, the job description is going to keep changing. Time is money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, it's going to make the whole process more convoluted and you're going to confuse yourself. You're not going to know what you want or who you want at the end of the day. Right. So do your research and be organized up front and then make your decisions. And then once you know what you need and what you want, then you start looking for that person. Got it. Okay. That's awesome. Erin, thank you so much. This was so helpful and um, I'll keep everyone posted. Maybe once we do make this hire, we'll have them on and I'll have them, I'll interview them on their side of the interviewing with Haven's Kitchen process. I feel like that would be an interesting one. That would be great. Love that feedback. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Exactly. Armin, as always, thank you for engineering. Everyone listening, um, you all really loved the interview with Jolene last week. You love the uh, brand refresh discussion. So I've gotten a ton of uh, incoming about that. So I'm glad that that was helpful. And hopefully this conversation about hiring will be super helpful. Um, I will not be here next week, but Courtney will be, and she'll be stepping in for me. Um, So as always, uh, see you next time on In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.